Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Hey, well, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Deepwater Podcast. We're glad you're with us today. You know, this is the uh, second time I'm recording an episode for this week, and the reason is this. I started recording an episode, and I was calling it the two cardinal sins of training that we have in the church. And we, we do have two big sins that we do in regards to training or mistakes that we do, and we need to do something about them. And someday I'm going to put that podcast out there. But after I did it, I thought about the way I sounded, and just felt like I was coming at it from a very judgmental attitude, which is not a very good way to come at anything. So I have put that one on hold. I will come back to it another day because it is something we really do need to address, but I want to be able to come to it with a good and right heart. That makes sense. So today I thought instead I would talk about some of the things that you do in a discipling meeting with somebody. There's lots of people who have lots of different ideas. There's lots of different curriculums that are out there. I wanted to give you some things I use, and specifically I'm going to talk about the seven questions that I like to ask when I sit down with somebody to uh, have a discipleship meeting with them. I feel like every realm of disciple-making, every disciple relationship you have, no matter what's going on, you need to have a couple of components. One is a Bible component. Uh, Somewhere we have to get back to the Bible, to the Word of God. Ultimately, we're making disciples of Jesus, and uh, in John, it says, "...in the beginning was the Word." The Word was God, and the Word was with God. And so Jesus, the Word of God, has to be central to it. We can't ever make disciples ourselves in our own power or with our own wisdom, our own words. just doesn't work. That's called, I don't know what it is, social self-help, something like that. What we want is disciples of Jesus, so it has to have a Bible component. The other side is it has to have a relational component, an intimate component, a component of I want to know you, I want you to know me. I want to know about your life. I'm not just showing you the Bible and I don't care about the rest of your life. No, I'm, we're trying to disciple the whole person. makes me think back a long time ago when I was a real estate broker. I was hiring a lady. I was interviewing for a position. And we had these set of questions we asked. And some of them were pretty personal. And, and the lady said, you know, I don't. It was like, you know, tell me about a personal failure that you've had in your life. You know, and she was like, She cried a little bit and told me, and she said, I don't really see what this has to do with anything. Actually, she hadn't told me yet. She said, I don't see what this has to do with anything. And I said, well, we're trying, we hire the whole person here. You know, we're not just hiring, we're wanting to see the whole person. And that's true of disciple making. We want want to disciple their whole life, not just their life in church, not just how they are uh, within the Word or studying the Bible. We want their whole life to be confirmed, to be shaped to the gospel. Having a hard time with those words. So here's some some questions I like to ask. I stole them from my buddy Daniel. I've seen him do some really nice stuff with this. And this is what we have. The first question is, how have you been lately? Quite simple. Yes. What's going on in your life? What's up? Uh, Second question, how is your family? Now this might be their brother and their sister. It might be their wife and their kids. It might be... Their wife, kids, grandkids, you know, depending on who they are and what situation of life they're in. And this is really important for a number of reasons. Number one, our most important people we disciple, our primary people we disciple are our children and our family. And number two, 
what's going on in our family probably affects us more than anything else. And it probably affects our relationships more than anything else. And in fact, somewhere over the weekend, someone was telling me about reading. It was my wife who was telling me about reading something that was saying that our person's relationship with their father influences how they see God probably more than anything else. And so if there's problems in the family, there's going to be problems in their relationship with God, and those things need to be solved. We need to know what's going on in their family. They need to know what's going on in our family. It's a two-way street. It's a relationship. I know some of the guys that I've talked with that are disciple-makers have talked about going along in discipleship and all of a sudden running into a family issue, and they have to kind of stop and resolve that family issue or work through that family issue with the person in order to help them get going back on. And that really is a lot of disciple-making. Dan Pierce often tells me that he believes people follow God until they reach some kind of obstacle. And if they don't have someone to help them over that obstacle, over that hardship, through that challenge, whatever verbiage you want to use, a lot of times they stop growing in Christ right there or even backslide. And so we want to see what's going on in their family. Third question, have you had any difficulties? What's going on in your life? Has anything stressed you out in, out in your life this week? Uh, what are the hard things? You know, number one, this tells you what you need to be praying for them. Two, you get to see like what's bothering them, how they're handling that. Are they handling that with the grace of Jesus? Are they handling that in the way the world handles it? A lot of good questions there. Sometimes I've found people to be a little reticent about answering that question. They just don't quite want to do it or like, ah, nothing, no big deal. But I want to know, like, what's going on? And another good friend of mine, also named Daniel, was telling me a story one time. He had been a overseas worker down in the jungles in uh, South America. And what he said is that every night before they would, when they were hiking through the jungle, every night before they go to bed, uh, they would, you'd look at your own body for any scratches, and then your, your hiking buddy would check your back, the areas you couldn't see. He said, what kills you in the jungle is not the python that everyone thinks about. It's the little scratch that gets infected. That's what, what kills you. And so your buddy would check your, your back, and then you'd, you know, if there was any scratches, you'd just put a little bit of anti, antibacterial gel stuff on it, and you'd be fine. And he made the analogy that, you know, what ways has Satan been attacking you this week or this day? Because, you know, unless Satan has taken a day off, and I doubt he has, then there's some way he's trying to attack you. And so that's another way you can ask the question, what's Satan trying to attack you with this last couple of weeks or since I last saw you? Get those answers, things to pray for. The next question, how has God been working in your life? You know, what's he doing? Is he convicting you of things? Is he showing you things? Is he calling you to something? Is there something you think he's telling you to do? Someone you're, he's telling you to disciple or talk to or forgive? or start building a friendship with. Question number five, how's your relationship with God, with the Father? You know, this week, is it intimate and close? Is it far and distant? Is it one of those weeks where you feel like you're praying and your, your prayers bounce off the ceiling and come back to you? How's your relationship with God? There was another analogy in the real-life discipleship training manual, and they, they had it, it was like a scale, you know, and they're like, how's your relationship with God? Is it like... You know, it's like a little puddle. Is it like a little pond? Is it like an a? Is it like a lake, or is it like an ocean? You know, like how's your understanding and relationship with God this week? Really important. 
what's going on there. And it's important that they tell you and that you can also share back with them. And part of someone, depending on the person, part of someone opening up is you also opening back up with them. Number six, what is God teaching you through his word? When you open your Bible, is God speaking to you? You know, are you opening your Bible? Okay, if you are, is God speaking to you? Because sometimes we open our Bible, and I'm guilty of it like anyone else, and you open your Bible, you read, and all of a sudden you realize, like, I just read this whole page, but I haven't paid attention to any of it. You know, I got lost in thought, and I'm still kind of going through the words, but I'm thinking about something else. Don't ask me how our brain does that, but it does sometimes. So, what's God teaching you in his word? And I really want people to be able to articulate this. And I hope that to get them where they're articulating this in an obedience fashion. This is what God's telling me I need to obey in. It's so important that we're obeying the word of God. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, I've been studying Luke 6 with a couple of friends. And let me say, I think Luke 6 might be one of the hardest chapters in the whole Bible. But at the very end of it, the last little section, starting in verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? I will show you what he is like, who comes to me and hears my words and puts them into practice. He is like a man building a house, who dug down deep and laid the foundation on rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck that house, but could not shake it, because it was well built. But the one who hears my words and does not put them into practice is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. The moment the torrent struck that house, it collapsed and its destruction was complete. So when we think about this, there's two two types of people Jesus is talking about. They have both heard the word of God. And the only difference between the two is one has put the Word of God into practice. He's put it into his life. He's changed his life to conform it to the Word of God. And the other one hasn't. And, of course, the results are drastically different. One of them, the storms of life come, and they stand firm. They keep going. There's a book I've been reading recently. It's called In the Arena. It's an old book about the China Inland Mission. I think it was written in 1960. Anyway, she's just basically saying, like, in the arena, in all these trials and hardships that we're in, this is where God shows that he's faithful, not just to us, but to the world. So, the man of God who listens to the, hears the word of God and puts it into practice, is the man that in the arena doesn't get shaken. The rains may come, the flood may come, but he's able to stand firm because he has this foundation of obedience to Jesus. The other man has heard the word of God. But when those same trials come, he falls away, he gets swept away, he doesn't have any foundation. He's got a lot of knowledge in his head, but none of it has went into his heart or into his hands. And truthfully, when I I talk about the Bible, especially, we've been out of the States for a little while, but especially in America, I feel like it it takes a lot of work to get people from a knowledge-based idea about God into an obedience-based idea. Now, we certainly need to know knowledge. We need to learn it. But the Bible is so much more than about just knowing knowledge. And I feel like if we're not careful, we have this trap to get into of like, well, I want to know more. Well, what about the historical context? Well, what about what's it saying in the Greek? And all of those are great if they help us obey. But if they don't help us obey, it's just interesting tidbits. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than a two-edged sword, able to divide soul and spirit bone and marrow, 
something like that, right? It's sharp and it has power if we'll use it in our lives. And when we're discipling somebody, that's what we really want to get to, is to the point where when they read the Word of God, God speaks to them, they hear it, and then they put it into their their life. They let God go in and do some surgery on some things that need to change in their life. The person that does that will grow amazingly. The person that doesn't won't do it. And so we do a lot of work, a lot of focus on trying to get towards obedience. What are we going to obey this week? Take some challenge, and if you've been in the Bible for a long time and just kind of a knowledge-based things, it takes some adjustment. Sometimes when we talk to people about this, they're like, man, it's just so simple, it's too simple, I can never get anything. Well, why don't you start obeying what's there? Don't worry about trying to make it complicated. Worry about trying to make it obedient or make me obedient to it. Last question we ask, question number seven, how is your prayer life? When John Kelsey was on our podcast, he said something about, you know, you never, you really know how a man, when you listen to him pray, then you know how a lot of things about him, how his relationship with God is, how he views God. So we want to know how is their prayer life. We want to share how our prayer life is. And I'll tell you that in the American church, the West, let's say the Western church, because it's not just America, our prayer life sucks. For the most part, we are very poor at praying. And I think that this is me too. I've known for a long time I need a better prayer life, and I haven't made myself do it. I'm hoping that I am you know, got convicted on it the other day, just a few days ago, and I'm trying to do a better job again. How am I praying? I really, do I really think I'm going to get all these things done myself, or do I think I need to hear from God? And when I hear from God, obey it, see what he's doing, and that will make all the difference. There's lots of examples of this, of examples of it working, examples of people that really spend, not just people, but groups of people. Not just James by himself in a closet, but let's get a group of us who are praying and the influence it makes. I've been reading a book recently called The Kingdom Unleashed, and it's a it's a wonderful book so far. In it, he was talking about prayer in this, I think it's in this whole chapter. And he he's going to use a term called the global north. What they're talking about mainly is Europe and America, Canada, the Western church, is what we call it. So anyway, the quote is, Prayer is the lifeblood of movements. And by movements, they're talking about disciple-making movements, movements where God, where it looks like the beginning of Acts, where you know people are really multiplying, the disciples are multiplying, God's doing great things. So, prayer is the lifeblood of movements. The church in the global north does not rely on prayer, and if behavior is any indication, it does not believe in it either. If we're going to see movements in the global north, we will need to see a new, ongoing commitment to serious, intense, persistent prayer for God to open heaven, to raise up disciple-makers and church planners, to guide us to his people of peace, and to empower our work. Without, without that, there will be no movements, and the church will continue its slow, inexorable decline into, the, into irrelevance in global north culture. It's quite the indictment. You know, there's a lot of places in in the world right now that are seeing great movements of God, and a lot of times we don't see it unless you're involved somehow with the missionaries that are there or the people on the ground or you have family. We just don't see it. We kind of are stuck in our own world, and, and in some ways that's okay. We are where we are. But what we're seeing is these great, great movements of God in other places, and one of the really foundational things we see in all of them is a real commitment to prayer. So when we're talking to our people we're discipling and talking to ourselves, how is your prayer life? 
what are you doing? They talk in here about a an organization called Mission for All. And they kind of have these prayer disciplines built into their ministry that I thought was really cool. I'm going to give you a quick read off of them, quick summary of them. These are the things they have built in. Annually, they do 21 days of fasting. They fast two meals of each day, 21 days in prayer in all churches starting in Janu- on January 10th. Monthly, one Friday each month for a half or whole night of prayer. Weekly, every Wednesday or Thursday, they fast two meals. And they break the fast with the church gathering for a discovery Bible study. Then they have other prayer mixed in with that. Daily, they have 90-minute prayer meetings at 40 different prayer centers throughout these different countries. On weekdays, they stop at noon for 30 minutes for a midday intercession. The last day of the month, they have a special prayer time. The last three days of December, they have a special prayer time. Just a lot of prayers like built into it, and they're making this point that we have to have to be people of prayer. And of course, there's lots more examples, people we could use. You could also use Jesus himself. Going back to the Kingdom Unleashed, they say, If Jesus needed to spend extended times in prayer, he who was in full and unhindered communion with the Father, how much more do we need to do the same if we're going to have the Spirit's guidance and power? You see a number of times where Jesus goes off by himself. He gets up early and goes and prays. It's a great example. What was he doing right before he was fixing to face the cross? He goes to the Mount of Olives and he withdraws by himself. He gets his disciples, asks them to pray with him. They can't. But he goes and he prays to God to sustain him and to prepare him and strengthen him. And, you know, it's a very very true and real prayer. You know, God, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But if not, you know, I will drink what's put in front of me. So we want to know about their prayer life. One other thing about their prayer life and about your own, what it goes back to don't praying stupid prayers. What are you praying about? Like, are you praying about, I pray that the kingdom of God will come in this place. I pray that God will raise up disciple makers. I pray for the salvation of person A, B, and C. I pray that this church will multiply. Or are you praying prayers like, you know, I pray that James's back will get better. I pray that James, I'm James. I pray that my back will get better. I pray that you'll help this part of my body. I pray that you'll help this person. And there's nothing wrong with praying for physical need prayers. In fact, that's great. Do it. But don't do that exclusively. You also need to pray for spiritual things. One of my old bosses named Curtis used to say, the, 20, the, the, the things you can see and feel, touch, smell, be observant of the world going on around you, that's only 20% of reality. The other 80% are happening around you in the spirit, spirit realm, and you don't know what's going on there. And the only way to deal with it is in prayer. And so we need to put more prayer in, more time in prayer, pray for those things that we can't see, that we don't understand. And if we'll commit to that... God will do it. So I like to use those seven questions, and I basically ask them more or less in, it, in every time I meet. And then out of that, I get what we're going to study for the Bible. And it may be, as I observe things over time, it may be a series that we need to go through. Something's gone on in their life, or you know, you really need to know this. Or maybe something specifically today. Well, here's a Bible story that addresses that. Let's study that together. And then as we study together... That's probably another lesson. But as we study together, we're trying to help them learn to study on their own, help them learn to hear from God as they as they do it, help them learn to relate that back to their lives. So that's what I got for you today. I hope it was helpful. If you have some things that you love to do or other questions that you like to th- throw at, let me know. I'll put these questions in the show notes. 
I'll put these questions in the show notes. And it doesn't mean that you can't have other questions that you ask also. There may be somebody that needs accountability with a specific item. Just a number of things that could be happening. So feel free to do it. Feel free to modify these if you need. But this covers a lot of their life. It's important that we know that so that we can go forward and uh, help them grow and become conformed into the image of Christ. Love you guys. Do us a favor. Do yourself a favor. Be obedient to Jesus this week, and let's focus on that. If you're already making disciples, keep focusing on that, putting more and more into those relationships. I think it will pay off for you. Go and make disciples. If there's something we can do for you, do let us know. In that realm, I had a couple pieces of feedback in the last few weeks. I really appreciate that, and we'll strive to do the things that you say. There was a someone that asked if we could get someone on the podcast that really knew about discipling your own children. So we're looking for somebody there. If you have someone that you think would be awesome at that, let me know, and we'll see if we can connect them and have them on the show. That's it. Love you guys, and we'll see you next time. 